You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, it's good to see you guys today, and I hope you're all getting in that Yuletide spirit. And as we study the Bible together today, uh, one of the things that really helped me as I was starting to read the Bible and learn the Bible and try and interpret the Bible is to understand it through the lens of a Jewish person. And here's why that's important, because the Bible was written mostly by Jewish people to mostly Jewish people. And so for you and I, if we can understand the Jewish context of it or the way Jewish people think, it helps us to understand the Bible better. And one of the things that's important to Jewish people is they, uh, as you read through the Bible, is that the parts of the body are significant and communicate different things. So like when the Bible talks about someone's hands, it's primarily talking about the works of their hands or uh, what they do uh, in their work. And then when the Bible talks about your shoulders, it's talking about the burden in life that you bear, what you carry. So when Jesus was carrying the cross, he carried it, of course, on his shoulders as he bore our sins there. Uh, But then when you look at the feet in the Bible, the feet represent your walk, your path, your way of life, see? And that'll help us to understand a bit more about Isaiah as we read in Isaiah chapter 52. Look with me at verse seven there. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the what? Feet of the messenger bringing good news, breaking the news that all's well, proclaiming good times, announcing salvation, telling Zion, your God reigns. And so the Bible teaches us that we ought to be known by our feet. Um, And a lot of people want to bring the good news and want to help people, right? And so that's why we see what I call bullhorn preacher around. Uh, Maybe you've seen bullhorn preacher uh, on the corner somewhere. And uh, bullhorn preachers typically want to bring the, the news uh, of God, but the way they're perceived in our culture is that they're just yelling at everybody, spewing hate at everybody, um, telling everybody they're going to go to hell and this type of a thing. And so I want to ask this question about Bullhorn Preacher. Is Bullhorn Preacher helping or hurting? Maybe he wants to help, but I would suggest, and I think many in this room would suggest that Bullhorn preacher might be hurting more than he's helping bring the good news of Christ. Because a lot of people in our world think, well, you know, uh, Christians, they think all Christians and churches are alike, like bullhorn guy, and they think that uh, we don't care about the majority of the world that's living on less than $2.50 a day, and that we just want to yell and judge and condemn everyone. Well, uh, what we should be known for is not our big mouths, but rather our feet, right? Our path, our way of life, our walk. And Isaiah breaks that down a bit more in Isaiah 58, verse seven, where he says, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. (laughs) I have a hard time with that relative part, right? Uh, But the rest of the people, I'm good. So uh, check it out. Um, When we're housing the homeless and feeding the hungry, are we helping or hurting? Helping, right? Yeah, we're we're helping by and large. Most of the time, we're gonna see later, but here's the big question I wanna ask you today is, is your helping hurting? You wanna help, is your helping hurting? Now, I've been involved with serving under-resourced people 
uh, not just here in San Antonio, but all over the world in several different countries uh, over the past many years and have worked amongst the urban poor here in San Antonio for uh, the past many years. And after all these years, here's one of the things that frustrates me a little bit is the holidays roll around, right? And around the holidays, everybody wants to do something nice and help people out. And what I'll observe in some people is they wanna help, but they just unload their closet and their junk and stuff that they don't want anymore and give that, expecting it to help. I was impacted by uh, a story that I saw run both on NPR as well as CBS News, and it was entitled, Best Intentions When Disaster Relief Brings Anything But Relief. And one of the stories in this article or in this story is in this news story was when a relief plane was trying to land in Honduras with much needed supplies, and the plane couldn't even land because the runway was junked up with a bunch of old clothes that people had sent to Honduras. So was, were those clothes helping or hurting? Hurting, right? Then another story in the article was uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School. Some of you remember the shooting that happened there. The shooter came in there, shot a, killed a bunch of children, and the rest of the kids that were at the school were in mourning, and people wanted to help, so they sent teddy bears. Well, the school had to rent another warehouse to hold the over 67,000 teddy bears that couldn't be used by the morning students. Were those teddy bears helping or hurting? You make the judge of that yourself. You be the judge of that yourself. And then there's Haiti. Of course, we know the natural disaster in Haiti. People wanted to help. In the next picture, uh, you're going to see a pile of clothes that are just rotting there on the landscape um, because they couldn't be used in Haiti. Were those clothes helping or hurting? Hurting, yeah. So some years ago, uh, I became friends with Jim Gibson, who wanted to help not hurt here amongst homeless families in the inner city. And we brought uh, part of Jim's story by way of video. Go ahead and take a look. I felt like God wanted me to do something and I went on a search, put one foot in front of the other and one thing led to another. And long story made short, here we are. For some reason I had a burden to help families with children. And so we needed multiple bedrooms and multiple bathrooms. I talked with a nursing home director and he told me, he says, you know what, I know somebody that sells nursing homes. I just talked to him the other day. I've got his phone number. He gave me the man's phone number. I called him and he brought me out here and he actually showed us uh, the place that was ultimately donated to us. And what we do is God has provided shelter and resources for us to meet families with kids at the front door and begin to help them rebuild their lives. It's, imagine, what would you do if you lost everything and you didn't know where you and your kids were gonna sleep tonight? This is what we see over and over and over again. We actually have served 70 families this year. They don't know what to do. Their friends and their family they're unable to help them anymore. God has provided shelter. We can meet them where they're at. And this is a program. They have to be willing to do their part to get back on their feet, look for work, follow the rules, stay alcohol and drug free. This is a program up to seven months because they're here. 
we're able to begin to help them to rebuild their lives, share Christ with them in appropriate ways, in appropriate doses, at appropriate times. And we get to see people come to the Lord, get baptized. And then because they're living here, we get to teach them, disciple them, not only about the Lord and the things of the Lord, but how to live, how they can live the best life now. And something I encourage people to do is don't do for people what they can do for themselves. Sometimes our heart gets in the way of what we really should do. As you're serving the poor, as you're serving the homeless, as you're, you're sharing the love of Christ on the streets with people here in San Antonio that are homeless, I believe God expects us to use wisdom. A lot of times people want to rescue people from the streets and they want to take them home. And I'm going to be honest with you, that's something I discourage everybody from doing. You can't do everything for everybody, and oftentimes there's situations, there's things going on you're not aware of. It may sound good, and it may look good, and it just might be the last thing in the world you should do. There are places, there are places like Strong Foundation. This is what we do, and you can come, and you can help, and you can serve, and you'll be safe. We've been doing this now for over 13 years. I've been involved in serving the homeless for almost 15 years, and I don't have all of the answers. But, well, let me tell you, we've learned a few things by trial and error. And as we step out in faith and we share the love of Christ with people that are lost and hurting, I believe God can use that to reach them, to touch them, and help them know what we know, and that that is they matter, that they are valuable, and that God loves them. Yeah, Jim understands as well as anyone I know, how to help without hurting. And we both learned lessons from a really great book, and I want to recommend it to you. It's called When Helping Hurts, and it shaped part of my language in this talk for today. And when people need help that doesn't hurt, there are typically three phases that you're looking at to help. First, there's relief when there is an urgent and temporary situation requiring emergency aid to reduce immediate suffering from a crisis. Then the next phase is rehabilitation. That begins as soon as the bleeding stops and seeks to restore the positive parts of the pre-crisis condition. But then there is development after rehabilitation has been done. Development is a process of ongoing change. And so here's where American churches typically go wrong. Here's a quote straight from the book. It says, one of the biggest mistakes that North American churches make by far is in implying relief in situations in which rehabilitation or development is the appropriate intervention. And so one example of this is recently when the hurricane hit Houston, we wanted to help, didn't we? And before we just sent a bunch of clothes over to Houston or whatever we wanted to give, we asked the relief organizations, what's really needed? And they overwhelmingly said, blood. So we partnered with the South Texas Blood and Tissue Center, and you guys agreed to give blood, and they set a goal for you guys for 23 units of blood. You know how much blood you gave? <laughs> 68. I mean, you guys crushed the goal, all right? You guys were not jacking around. And there are people, you saved over 200 lives through your blood donations, and there are people that are alive today that are thanking God that you didn't just pile up used clothes in their front yards because you wanted to help. And we understand that sometimes we have the heart to help, 
But sometimes what we want to do to help only hurts. And you guys are a great example of helping to help. Look at another quote from this book. Moreover, the entire goal of development work is for local people to take charge of their individual lives and communities. So if they need help, give it. But if they do not, your giving may do harm. And so a lot of us want so badly to help people, but we engage in what's called paternalism. And the book says, avoid paternalism. Do not do things for people they can do for themselves. That's also what Jim Gibson said. And so we learned this in our work in Liberia. For years, we would send people over to Liberia, Africa, and help them in several different facets of the society there. And what one of our water well technicians did, his name was Dunn, is he went and rather than spend over $3,000 to send another American over to Africa, Don taught the Liberians how to service their own water wells so that they could maintain theirs on their own. We would spend way less money and we could support jobs of Liberians there who could take care of their own own problems. I think comedian John Christ does a great job of surfacing this idea. Go ahead and take a look at John by way of video. All right, first things first. I'm gonna need everyone to wear this awful neon-colored T-shirt everywhere we go because what's the point of serving in a third world country if people in America don't know we're doing it? We do not have time to help that lady with her bags, okay? The mission doesn't start until we get to the country. Does everyone have their passport? We are splitting up, guys and girls. Y'all cannot sit together on an overnight flight. Absolutely not. Does anyone in this group speak any Spanish at all? Nobody. Okay, perfect. Day one is going to be a rest day, okay? We need our rest. Day two is going to be a shopping day, all right? Your grandparents and aunts and uncles have paid a lot of money for you to come down here. What better way to say thank you than some crocodile earrings? No, you cannot buy a djembe. How are you going to get that home? Day three is a Sunday. We're going to go to church, all right? This is a super amazing church we're going to, but we're not going to understand anything because it's going to be in a different language. Does everyone have their passport? Day four, you guys, is when we really get down to business. We're going to paint a school. Are there skilled painters in that country that could probably do a better job than us? Yes, there are. Does this country have high unemployment and they could probably use the work? Again, also true. Was this school painted last week by the mission team that came before us? Again, yes. But that's not important, okay? We're going to paint the school and we're going to get some photos to send back to the church. I swear if one more person loses their passport. Listen, guys, I understand things are going to be difficult. We're going to get tired, but we must never waver from our goal to get photos with minority children for our Facebook profiles. (laughs) That's the best. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Helping or hurting. Does your helping hurt? And you know... I think a lot of us here understand that to really help, we do have to have certain boundaries in our lives, right? Like Jim would say, don't uh, invite a street person to stay in your home all the time. Or he would say, you know, don't give out money to people on the streets who ask you for money because they're just going to use it for drugs or whatever. But you know what the risk is for me personally? is that hurting people will just disappear. I'll think so much in terms of the boundaries and uh, not being taken advantage and doing the most efficient right thing. But you know, the risk for me is that I'll put so many boundaries up that my heart gets hard towards people, you know? I was reminded of this recently when 
I was at the coffee shop over on Houston Street Estate Coffee, and I came out after I'd had my coffee, and uh, a guy rolls up to me, and I know what it's going to be because I'm downtown all the time, just like many of you. And uh, you know, he's going to—he he goes, "Can I have a couple of bucks?" And I'm like, you know, I was feeling good that day. I'm thinking, like, you know, whatever. I never do this. I never just give people cash, but this particular day, I give the guy a couple of bucks. And then I followed that up with, hey, man, you know, uh, we have a church over at the Cameo Theater. If you would like to come over and worship with us this Sunday, man, we would love to, to have you there. And he goes, oh, man, you're that pastor over there at City Church, aren't you? I've been, I've been drinking up your free coffee on Sundays for a long time, man. Dang, pastor, I was going to go buy beer with this money, man. You take your $2 back, you know? And I thought to myself, you know, there may be times where I get taken advantage of, but I would rather stand before God someday and he says, Doug, rather than just not getting taken advantage of, I'd rather than say, Doug, you know, there were times you got taken advantage of, but you didn't miss out on many of the opportunities to love, help, and serve people that really needed it. And you know, which one of us have not at some time needed help and at some time had a bad motivation in the midst of needing help, right? So let's carefully guard our hearts. Now, people who want to help learn to downsize to maximize their impact. And we know that Americans spend more on trash bags than most of the world spends on all of their goods, right? And we're continually inundated with all these opportunities to upgrade, accumulate, and buy and consume more stuff. And I'm always reminded of it when I'm coming back from a country and I'm sitting on the plane and I'll read the Sky Mall magazine, right? And I see in Sky Mall all these things that would be awesome to have. And I need them. I need that Lord of the Rings sword. You know what I'm saying? I need that R2-D2 remote control little robot or the doggy ladder because the doggy needs help getting up on the bed. You know what I'm saying? These are things I need. <laughs> but maybe I don't, and I sometimes wonder how Jesus feels about all the many different Amazon.com boxes that are coming to my house, you know? But maybe we could downsize a few things, like maybe downsize our cable package or maybe go without cable for a time so that we could spend that money on something else. Or maybe we could uh, not buy a new car but get a user, a little older car, so that we could take the payment we would have spent on a new car and put it towards something that matters more to Jesus. And so I'm asking myself the question, is my consumption helping or hurting? Is my consumption helping or hurting. And people who want to help not only downsize to maximize, but we also give as a privilege, not under pressure. We give as a privilege, not from pressure, under pressure. Now, last week, we talked about the Philippians. Remember that? We were talking about how these Philippian people, though they were actually poor people, they gave this offering that was above and beyond their regular ties for relief work to help other believers, and they were so content in what they had. Remember last week, we talked about being content with what we have, and we said, um, you know, I have everything I need, and I'm blessed. And there's a lot of rest in that, isn't there? 
And the Philippians were a great example of this contentment, and Paul actually uses the Philippian people as an example to other churches to be not only content, but also in their generosity, the way that they share and give to other people. Um, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, and we'll see how Paul talks to the more wealthy Corinthian church. He says, uh, he's talking about the Philippians. He says, they're being tested, those Philippians are, those Macedonians, by many troubles, and they are poor. They're very poor. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the, what's that word? Privilege of sharing. These Philippian people were going through hard times, and they were poor people, but they were like begging Paul for the privilege to be able to support some other brothers and sisters and help him out. And so Paul continues uh, another chapter, a couple of chapters or another chapter later to encourage the Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to what? Pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. And you know, I could stand up here week after week and do this big song and dance and pressure cook you into feeling like you have to give. And uh, I've been in those churches where you really feel the heat, right? And uh, I could say things like, you know, if you don't give today, then you're going to lose your salvation and you're going to go straight to hell. You know what I mean? Uh, or I could say uh, something like this. If you don't give today, God will bring his judgment upon you and the fleas of a million camels will nest on your arm. Pits. I love to say that anytime I can, you know. Uh, but that's not the thing. And there are probably times where uh, I do borderline pressure because I feel so strongly about it. But look, whether I pressure you or someone else, don't give according to pressure. Give as a privilege out of the overflow and thankfulness to God for the ways that he's provided for you and cared for you and loved you. And so rather than telling you uh, all these ways or reasons why you should give, I'm not gonna do that today. I'm gonna tell you what I do and encourage you to do that. There are others of you that are more advanced in giving than what I am, and you're doing more than what I'm doing, and I'm trying to catch up to you. But I'm just gonna tell you what my wife Jeannie and I do and I'm asking you to consider. Number one is tithe, and tithe means what? Tenth, right? Um, we say continue to tithe, as the Bible teaches in Malachi, at your local storehouse or your local church. If this is not your regular church, then tithe at your church. Don't tithe here, but just tithe at a church, a local church, because it is the platform for the poor. It's the platform to serve our neighbors. That's why last week we were able to send shoes to kids at Page Middle School right here on the inner city east side because of our tithes go directly to that. When Ms. Gonzalez called us and told us of the need, we wanted to respond to that need right here in our community. Not only does the church serve as a platform for the poor, 
but it brings the good news of Jesus. Remember where we started today in Isaiah where he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't wanna get on a bullhorn and yell at people and spew hate. The good news is not bad news. It's good news, isn't it? And so we bring the good news of Jesus here almost every single week and that is why we have so far this year, 171 people who have been baptized here in our church and we've got, yeah, clap for that. And we've got 36 more people signed up to be baptized next Sunday on Christmas Eve. And so this is a part of the role of the church. But a second thing that my wife and I are giving to is called Restore. Those of you who have been around here for a few years, you know what that's all about. That is the fund that we use to renovate our facilities, to get them up to code. Right now, your Restore dollars are going towards uh, renovating our children's space right next door. We've got uh, most of the work done, the Vito Cafe. We hope to have that done in the next couple of weeks with the AV in there. Um, the flooring is going in on the third floor for our children, and your Restore dollars are going to create a facility that's best for urban kids to come and learn the gospel, see? So I thank you for your generosity in that. Those of us that are contributing towards Restore, um, are, most of us are making a three-year commitment. So from the time that you start to give, you pledge uh, an amount in your heart, in your mind, um, that you're going to give over the three years. You contribute to that monthly, weekly, however you want to do it. Uh, and then when the three year, your three years are up, uh, you end it there. And we thank God for your generosity that's helped us to expand our seating capacity and get the place up to code. But a third thing we're asking you to do is give to the Strong Foundation Residence Needs List. That's why Humvee has a trailer right outside today. And I thank God for the many of you that have already uh, brought uh, uh, supplies to put into that trailer there. Um, if you have not brought something today and you would like to bring something for the Strong Foundation, some supplies, after the service, you can roll to the store and get some stuff and put it in the trailer. But after today, we won't be able to receive donations here at the church. You can just take it straight to Strong Foundation. Their website is strongfoundation.org, or you can just uh, Google it and find it right over here just a few blocks away at Hackberry and Houston Street and take the supplies directly there. But as I was shopping yesterday for the things that my family was gonna to give to the Strong Foundation in the trailer today. Um, it was doing something in my heart and it was doing something good in my heart. It's like when I'm shopping or doing for others, it takes my selfishness away a little bit and it shapes, molds, and softens my own heart, you know? And I had the same feeling I had many years ago uh, when I went to on a trip to Romania and experienced uh, some of the gypsy people there. And I met this little kid there named Seti. And in the picture that I brought, Seti is the little boy to my right there. Um, and he grew up in a gypsy home in a very impoverished part of Romania. And when you would look at Seti's feet, his little toes were mangled because when he was a baby, the rats would come into their living quarters and eat away at his toes. And Seti now is safe and living in a great group home because Christ's followers wanted to help in a way that would help. And you know what made it even more complete? Is they brought to Seti not just relief help, but also help 
for the soul with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Americans talk about poverty as a lack of material possessions, but the book that we looked at earlier, uh, When Helping Hurts, they say that people in poverty talk about poverty in terms of shame, humiliation, hopelessness, and voicelessness. And I've seen that as true all over the world. Poverty is not just about stuff, but it's a spiritual issue of people's souls. And that is why Paul says to people who needed the gospel in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. And if you feel impoverished in your soul, like you've never had a relationship with God before, he would love for you to come to know him today. And it's simple to do by just believing that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died there to pay the penalty for your sins and to give you a great spiritual inheritance, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. So let's bow for prayer. And as we bow before the Lord right now and Uh, Some are in their hearts and minds wanting to begin a relationship with God today. Just talk to him in your own heart right now and just say, hey, look, God, I've got a spiritual debt right now. I know I've sinned, but right now, the best I get it and understand it and comprehend it, I'm choosing to believe the truth that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died there to pay off my spiritual debt. And God, I receive a relationship with you now through Christ. And God, the rest of us pray that our hearts would not grow hard towards those who are hurting, but that we would have soft hearts. And God, we really want our helping to help, not hurt. And so would you help us best leverage the resources and manage the resources that you've graciously granted us to make the greatest impact and make a difference. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our church. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.